this metaphor is perfect, but also you've shattered my mind on Legos. <laughs> Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Denny Dicely at Dicely D&D on Twitter. Today, we talk about preparing your spells, rules versus player intent, a backstory stew, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus episode with Denny after the main episode's over, or if you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every single week that range in length from 15 minutes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as access to the entire catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Now let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we have Denny at Dicely D&D on Twitter, also on YouTube and Twitch. All of those links will be in the description. But Denny, I want to welcome you to the Dungeons and Dinners table. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You seem like a wonderful host already. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. We've uh, we've already gotten to discuss a couple of things prior to the episode. I love the energy that you're bringing here. I think we're going to have have a fun time. So... <laughs> Um, for the less initiated, um, I'd like to always start every episode giving my guest a little bit of time to describe who they are, uh, what they do, and how they perform in the TTRPG space. Well, uh, as you already said, my name is uh, Denny. Uh, I tend to go by Denny Dicely on the internet, and I run the Dicely D&D channel, which is kind of makes its home on YouTube, but it branches into the Speak Dicely podcast on several podcast websites. Um, we run a campaign called Play Dicely, and uh, like I, I'm active on basically all the social media, and I've recently gotten into TikTok as well. Um, but as far Ooh. as what <laughs> as far as what I do, uh, I consider Dicely to be more of a uh, an educational D and D channel. Um, it's not it's not like kid friendly entirely, but uh, it is educational for everybody who wants to come in. Some videos and some podcasts might include swearing. But the goal is if somebody hasn't approached a tabletop RPG and with a focus on D&D before, um, I hope to make that pathway into playing an easier process. And uh, I think that you there's a lot of content just just in um, your your YouTube alone. There's a huge range of content um, from you know character development, world building, uh, there's tons and tons of like getting started down to the very raw basics, like uh, how to the different ways to roll for a character and how they they operate, what the differences are. And I absolutely love like I think that there's always a place for different perspectives on getting started in TTRPGs and getting players comfortable with rules and mechanics that are otherwise seem kind of like it's it's not a thick book. I think that's one of the things that has always struck me is especially well, one, it's three books, right? To to really get started, the core. <laughs> um, but the the main either as a player or a DM, you look at just the PHB or just the DMG, it's not thick, but the the content feels like an encyclopedia or a Bible or some like, it feels like it should be about 600 pages. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean like the, 
my intro series on my YouTube channel basically just covers most of the things that players will need. Not even that, like the first five episodes are things players will need and everything past that is just like rules just to get you more familiar with the game. And that's like 14 videos and I think it's around like 22 hours of video content. And I'm like, right. there's, a, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> Like, like you can read the book, but that doesn't like understanding the book is the is the unseen thousands of pages that aren't like you don't. It's like they're like invisible. <laughs> yes. And and that's the gap I try to fill is the because, um, yeah, I've read the player's handbook through several times. And every time there's either a rule I've misinterpreted or something I didn't realize that was in there and I just forgotten. And um, so, yeah, these videos that I've created, they're. I'm I'm just trying to make it the most digestible I can. Uh, and also there's like drawings that in these videos of like chalkboard sketches, because it's just like, ah, let's go with the, the teacher vibe. And uh, I'm I myself am not a teacher, but I am an illustrator and my background's in theatrical production and design. So conveying information through art is kind of what I've been trained to do. Well, that's so that's an interesting uh, kind of step to take. I know plenty of it's never a, a shock to hear a theater person in D&D. &D. Um, a lot of it's just it exposes a lot of people to it. Um, you get, you know, hey, we have 20 people that meet at the same time every week and uh, we have nothing to do in between line readings. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. but coming from a, a production side, what what is your history in theatrical production? So I. I myself am a Canadian, so I went to York University in Toronto, Canada. Um, and originally, as I'm sure many theater students tend to be, I went pursuing acting, but uh, eventually I steered towards design. And um, my areas of expertise are in costume, set, and audio design. And um, after, after my four-year degree, got into the field and I was just like, it's, it's not for me. It's a rough industry for sure. Um, and I'm really glad I'm not in it right now with the pandemic and all. Oh yeah. Uh, very hard time for them. Um, but that being said, all the skills I'd accumulated, the artistic skills, the, um, conveying to people information through drawings and, and the ability to think in a three dimensional space space, I think is one of the biggest things I got just thinking about space and, how to move through it, how story interacts with space. Um, I've transitioned these things over to my D&D &D playing, which I've been doing for about a decade now. Yeah, and I mean, so one, I have to highly compliment like your your skills and set design show through because all of your video backgrounds are really well curated and uh, and I like them a lot. Um, so, so a decade of D&D, &D, did you, when did you start? playing DD, like what was your introduction there <laughs> um in comparison to a lot of the content creators i see uh, i consider myself a uh, kind of a young D, D content creator uh i started with fourth edition oh bless <laughs> but Oof. it i mean it was a necessary step to get well, to yeah. where we are now yep i and I, as i've said many times in the past i think it was just before its time i think it would be more acceptable now than it was then <laughs> coming out of three five nobody wanted that oh yeah absolutely and like so i started with fourth edition my dungeon master first time was uh he had he he has i should say the most zany 
creative brain I've ever come across. So it was just an acid trip playing for the first time. And I was like, after coming out of that first session, I want something a bit more traditional. And I and it was that that almost immediately propelled me into a DM role. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> if you if you want it, go make it. <laughs> That exactly. And you know what? And that's something that came out of my theater experience as well. It's like the work isn't always going to be there. So go make the work. And I think that's also part of why I love doing what I'm doing now with content creation and why I might have a bit too much on my plate, but I love it. No, no. A creative with too much on their plate. I don't believe <laughs> this at all. I've never heard of such a thing. Definitely never lived it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it sounds like somebody might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm sure a few people do. A, a DM with more on their plate. than <laughs> I have six campaigns I want to run, two nights a week that I want to do them. <laughs> and someday I'd like to play as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, every every time I go to DM a campaign, I'm like, if I'm playing in any games, I got to figure out how to wrap up my character real quick because I'm going to divert all my attention to DMing that game. Do you find yourself like like you said, is, is it a kind of an all or nothing? Are you kind of a one campaign at a person or one campaign at a time kind of person? Um, I've I've been both player and GM, but uh, if if I'm if I'm a player, I kind of have these periods of time where it's like if I am being a player, I'm probably playing in a few games. But when it comes to the point where I'm going to run a campaign and I'm running a campaign for my channel right now, I try to fully focus on that because I I love world building, but man, it takes a lot out of me. So it's like I have to curate my time. I have to curate my mental space and be like, I am totally focusing on this. That's understandable. I definitely respect the people that can can do more than once or juggle more than one at a time. But oh, yeah. yeah, I'm the same way. Um, do you tend to run uh, longer campaigns or do you lean more towards one shots and adventures? Uh, I, I like a, um, a long form continuous narrative. OK, and so a lot of the time with a long form continuous narrative like that, even if you start in an adventure guide, in my uh, experience, it oftentimes diverts into homebrew of some kind uh pretty quickly do you find yourself leaning into homebrew uh and and do you homebrew your own content or do you use content from others um a, a bit of a mixture of both you know like it's when doing homebrew well i mean people say a lot these days like nothing's new like everything's been discovered everything's been invented and mm -hmm. so that's very true i think for D, D campaigns as well it's like Absolutely. Go look at other people's stuff and get inspired and maybe you'll create something new and something a bit more individual. But I mean, it's very easy to find like comparative things. It's like, oh, this feels like a Game of Thrones campaign or um, a one piece pirate adventure kind of thing. But yeah, I, I try to create my own settings and my own lore, but I let my eye wander around and be like, ooh, I like that. I'm going to add that in. Well, I yeah, I think that I don't necessarily think that homebrew needs to be like 100% OC, right? Like, like if it's original content, that's great and that's awesome. But it's for me, a lot of my homebrew is either I found a monster picture artwork on ArtStation or Pinterest or something that doesn't have any stats is just a cool looking monster 
and or I found a stat block that I don't like the monster for. And like if I change the the all of the damage types from cold to acid and then use this art station pick, well, there I'm, I'm done. You know, as long as I'm not trying to sell it as mine, <laughs> that it'll work for my players. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I think spells are something that people don't brew enough, at least in my experience. I, I love seeing new spells and that kind of thing. It's so easy to do to just like take a spell, change its type. New spell, mm-hmm. easy peasy. Yep. Yeah, I talk a ton about that where it's, you know, one, just the the intro to that. I always try to kind of, whether it's a new or experienced player, I ask them to describe how their spell looks. Yes. And and it's like, that's it. That, because that's a bit of role playing that somebody can start with that doesn't necessarily even feel like role playing. So you kind of you fly in under the radar and get them to start describing objects and effects and that they'll eventually start describing their character as they feel more comfortable doing that and it doesn't if they want the classic fireball go for it i'm all about it but like they can be a wizard that worships palor and their fireball can have a screaming lion face at the front of it right it doesn't change it at all and it explodes in it and the mane of the 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 lion just expands out in these feathery pillars and like cool go for it it doesn't do there's no difference but that that step then gets people thinking like well could i change the type and like yes you can Give me an acid fireball. Do it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even in the case of fireball, like an example being the uh, the light cleric, I think, gets access to fireball. What's what's the difference between a wizard casting fireball originating from their arcane focus? And instead, maybe the cleric's like, I don't want it to come from me. Maybe it's it falls out of the sky like a meteor. It's like, mm-hmm. holy crap, that's already a huge change. Yep. A beam of holy light that expands and in the middle of the light, a tiny dot, you know, of of you shield your eyes as this dot grows and grows and then explodes. And like, yeah, have like, that changes like, you know, it but it adds so much. It changes nothing about the spell, but it adds so much to the world. Like even if you're in a cathedral and there's a ceiling overhead, right? And you want your beam of light. Maybe there's a crack in the ceiling and there's one ray of light coming through that you can like you know, use in a way to describe your your spell or effect or whatever. And I think it's that kind of interaction, that description and involvement and bringing out, you know, concepts and ideas that does make it that collaborative storytelling experience that we all love. So do you find that, um, like, in what ways do you encourage players to create their own spells? Like, Like, how do you approach that? How do you say, is that like a session zero thing or is that something that comes up as, you know, you're more mid campaign? Uh, I, I think firstly, it depends on like the party composition. Of course, you got to have spellcasters. Well, <laughs> you know what? Do you really actually? That's a, you don't. But that's, that's fun. That's <laughs> it, you probably will inevitably have them. <laughs> imagine having a party with a fighter who's just like, you know, just this, this one time I'm going to learn the basics just to make a spell <laughs> just so I can have my name on one. <laughs> um <laughs> But in terms of my process for it, um, like it's unfortunately, it's something that hasn't really come up in my games. And I think it's a uh, it requires an interest on the player's part. Like you can offer the suggestion in session zero and be like, 
hey, if you guys, we're, we're going to do a whole bunch of homebrew. If you want to create spells, you want to create a class, like just let me know and we'll do it. Um, but yeah, my players in particular haven't kind of expressed that interest yet. But uh, I think what I'm going to start doing is like creating my own homebrew spells and just inserting them into like our D&D Beyond. And they'll be like, wait, what's this? And I'm like, hey, I made it. Yeah. Wait. What do you, you do? You want it? it? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want to try it? I'll give you a taste. I'll give it first scrolls free. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the second I one. I think. Right. I think that is a great way to introduce them to like uh like finding a scroll, mm-hmm. and and that way you can introduce the the concept of an altered spell or a new spell that a player could then like yeah you could use this or you could write it in your spell book. You know, like you could learn it. Oh yeah. Um, the 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 other idea that I have for that, which I think it would require a, I don't think you could do this with any table. I think you'd have to have kind of a crunchy table. But, uh, saying that you have to change something about every spell. Ooh, like as a require, like if you want to play a spellcaster, um, you cannot use it's it's like anti ro like rules as written like anti raw like you cannot use any spell as written something has to change that that would be a great challenge and if yeah it'd be yeah, terrifying think, too but you'd need a bit more of an experienced group right but i love this idea i love playing spellcasters in my games <laughs> um so uh, yeah, coming from what you play in games. So you seem to be, at least in some uh, respects, a little bit more balanced than some of us other, like, forever DMs or forever players. <laughs> um, do you, uh, what What do you, do you have, like, a class or race that you lean towards more often than not when you play? Or are you a, I want to try it all once? Um, I've I've been that... I, 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 at this point, I have hit every class for at least a one shot. Um, there are some classes I'd like to kind of delve into a bit more, but, uh, to say I have a favorite class, um, you know, I haven't played like 10 clerics or anything. Uh, it, and that's kind of going back to all this. Like I've, I've been teaching people how to play D and D fifth edition since it like came out and it's been a lot of new groups and, in the times where it's been a new DM who's been trying to play and they've asked me to kind of join in the game and kind of help with rules and stuff. Uh, I, I've kind of Stockholm syndrome take, took, took the role of the cleric just cause it was like, you know, this party could probably benefit from having a healer. And over time I've fallen in love with the class and fifth editions clerics are superb. They're so flexible and there's so many options. They really are. They're they're definitely the jack of all trades. Do you have a do you have a favorite subclass for clerics? Uh right now it's probably the trickery one as Yeah. I would love to choose a different answer because it's kind of the mainstream choice right now with critical role having just finished. Um but if I were to choose one aside from that, uh probably the light cleric yeah yeah light cleric is good i think it's hard that trick like how who's gonna turn down mirror image as a cleric like you don't die (laughs) it's the most wizardly of the clerics i feel yeah yeah for sure and and well and it's just i i kind of wonder at what point because clerics and druids have a ridiculous amount of utility 
because and in my opinion, a lot of people think that wizards are hard to play. In my opinion, the cleric is one of the hardest classes because you have access to the entire spell list every day, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a wizard after, yeah, it's hard to pick your spells when you level up. But once you do, that's it. Unless you find something or take time to research, you're that's what you got. And and so I always kind of I, I wonder at what point wizards may look at wizards of the coast that is may look yeah. at wizards and, and sorcerers especially because sorcerers and, and warlocks get kind of even the shorter end of that stick and say either do clerics need more restricted spell lists like i mean three five was a lot more restricted every every god and domain was a little bit shorter list right but but does that pendulum swing into sorcerers and wizards get access to more or do you think that clerics and druids might get access to less? Uh, to, to weigh in on that, I've, right now my least favorite classes in the game are the sorcerer and the bard, specifically for the reason that they operate on known spells. And I'm just mm-hmm. I feel so limited with them. And is is prepared spells balanced? I don't know, but I do love that by the end of the day. If I'm anticipating something, I can have a certain repertoire ready to grow, ready to go. Um, with sorcerers and bards, however, it's I just feel so constrained having leveled up and then going, this is my spell. Even even wizards, like they've they've got their spell book. So if they come across a scroll, they have the chance to expand that list, which is right. great. And then even then, they only choose so many spells per day. Yeah, I I do wonder because it it also disrupts, in my opinion, the party dynamic, because your warlock, your sorcerer, your bard is going to be like, well, we're uh, I it doesn't matter if we wait or go like I would rather just kick in the door because let's move the story along. I have no options, whereas the the cleric, the artificer is going to be like, let's rest for a day. Let me reset my infusions or my spell list. Let's switch into like if we need to go sneak into a space. Well, let me get all of my, you know, bonuses to sneak and hide and then get my, you know, expedious retreats, my jumps, my you know stat boosting abilities, whatever. And I'll be a buff character. But if we're going to go into boss battle, I need to make sure I have revivify, heal, you know, whatever other like types of things that more closely match down to like let's research what kind of boss it might be are they going to be immune or vulnerable to a certain damage type that i can you know pick up absorb elements or something on you know like there's and i think that that can cause disruption in what types of decisions parties make have Mm. you kind of experienced that at all yeah actually and uh my most recent recent um play dicely twitch stream um my my players had been presented with there's this library and it's been filled with undead or with like ghosts and spirits and that kind of thing. And um, the, the party was like, Oh, we could wait until tomorrow. So our cleric can get some better spells to do it. And then I threw in like somebody's trapped in there and they've been trapped in there for a couple of days. They might not be holding out much longer. They're like, Oh, we better do this now. So that's kind of the, um, the, the kind of going against that natural instinct. Sure. They wanted to, but they're like, Thankfully, they're they're a lovely group of people and their characters are just as good. So they're like, oh, we got to save this person. Right. Yeah. And I think it I think it goes both ways. I think that it's it's not necessarily wrong for a party to take time to prepare. 
Oh, for sure. And and I but I, and it's like I also don't think that it's punishment to say that just because you're you're kitted out in one way and you get into an emergency situation where a, a couple of bad dice rolls can turn any charismatic inter- interaction into battle, you know, so like you should probably always be a little prepared. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I see it going both ways, but I think it just is an interesting dynamic to set. I, I just kind of wonder if there's a larger conversation to be had on how much it's kind of uh, nature versus nurture in mm-hmm. in D&D. So how much of the characters we play are dictated by ourselves versus kind of the rules and guidelines of the book, right? Oh, this is such a good discussion. I'm glad you've brought this up because, you know, when when we're planning games and we we design our stories and our worlds to be something that the the characters interact with but really i personally think we're designing a world that the players will interact with cuz regardless of how good a player is at role playing their character there's always going to be this little nugget of the player tugging their character along like a pet on a leash mhm mhm and i i think that equally though sometimes when I get in like uh, out of game, I'm like, oh, I want my character to go in this direction, you know, and they have this attitude and this mindset and this is how I'm going to role play them. And then the minute we get into session that I feel like I'm being dragged along, like, no, 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 I wanted them to be bombastic. And I'm I am role playing out a scenario where my character is being cowardly and, and you know, processing some inner trauma and like. I that was not where I wanted this to go. I had no intention of bringing my character here. I feel like sometimes my character's dragging me along for a ride. <laughs> like, oh yeah, our characters can totally surprise us during a game, and that's a great feeling too. Yeah, I think that having like being able to let go that much is is can be difficult and sometimes a little scary because it's like what is going on here? Like we I get it that we're telling a like a fantasy story. But am I tapping into some unknown consciousness here? Like, what is? Ha- I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. When the, when the player is subconscious, you know, sometimes players just need to explore a certain topic, and mm-hmm. if everybody's comfortable with it, and that should be something that comes up in session zero, right? Just be like, hey, are there any topics that we should avoid, or what? Like, just ensuring the group is going to be safe. Otherwise, feel free to explore whatever it is you need to. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that it makes for it's just getting into that space, especially if you get multiple people into that space. Of course, that's kind of the dream is that everybody plays D&D in some kind of flow state. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's it's definitely fun. And I think that it's a I think that it's a really interesting topic to explore in, you know, like kind of the structure of rules versus the infinite creativity of the story is is always either it's a balancing act or a tug of war. And and it can be both. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you mention a lot and your your channel does this as well of you kind of started this podcast saying that you're not a teacher. Um, but <laughs> I, I would I would care to disagree. And I would argue the point that while you may not be a scholastic teacher, uh, you definitely carry the torch of a mentor. Um, and you've you know, you've got a lot of tutorial videos and you have mentioned you know, being just as willing to, I think a lot of people see the DM as the guru, um, which in the same way that I believe that, you know, 
not to dive too far off, but like individuals should not be worshipped as like gurus for their spiritual capability or whatever. But I think that the DM should not be worshipped as the purveyor of all D&D knowledge. Right. And and I think that you bring up a really interesting point, which is a a more maybe I don't, it's not a hot take per se, but it's a less likely viewed place, which is that the player, a player in a campaign can be more experienced than the DM and that be OK. Um, mm-hmm. And even be helpful to be able to teach a DM how to DM or mentor them. Uh, how do you manage being a player while trying to mentor a DM? So it's for me, that's um, a lot of that conversation, similar to having a session zero with players. That's a, a conversation to have with a new DM before a game starts. It's like, well, how much do you want me to be involved? Like, do you have some sort of, will you just ask me when you're um, curious or do you want to run this game like full rules as written or do you want to just try and be a bit more flexible with it? Um, Yeah. So it's as with most things, in my opinion, it's just asking a lot of questions, like figuring out what are the boundaries they want to set? How much help is too much? Would they rather me just take a player um, role and just kind of be there to give them the critique afterwards? Um, And, in the end, uh, regardless of what um, what role they've decided they want me to play in their mentoring for their first time DMing, um, I will automatically default if they did not ask me for any advice. The DM's rule is always right. So I'll just let things be like if, if the and that's another thing to balance, too. If everybody else at the table knows I'm an experienced player and everybody's playing for the first time, they may look at me as well. And then I'll go. It's whatever the DM says is the rule. So we're going with that. Like, don't look at me for that rule because they didn't ask me for it. That's a that's really honorable. And I, I highly respect that because I've been at tables where that becomes a hot button, especially when there's one or two experienced players and one or two new players. It's one thing to like partner up, like buddy up and be like, hey, while it's not my turn, I can help you prep for your turn or something. Right. And and explain some of these spells while we're in the middle of a battle. Like, which does this do what I think it does? Like, sure. Yeah, let's talk about that, you know, but it's something different when the the experienced players get into uh, like almost a, a bit of a, I don't know, a spat as far as. Who's mentoring whom, who's right in a in a very specific edge case scenario, which is almost every scenario. I like every every encounter in DD is somehow an edge case and almost never very plainly, flatly covered by the rules. Yeah. So it, how do you how do you manage uh, more or have you had a lot of situations where you've had to manage more contentious, maybe hotter situations at a table? Hmm. it's it's interesting to think back on like where conflict has come up at a table um because i think for the most part (laughs) those situations would actually be more on me in my inexperience um so i've learned a lot over the years and um like i I, of course you can't be a great gm immediately Uh, i had to make mistakes along the way i've had to had unnecessary um, 
conflicts with players. Uh, like I, there was this one time where one of my players was playing a wild magic sorcerer and they were just being so disagreeable and so meta that I started being meta back and just like procking their wild magic surge and just messing with them. Cause it was like, you've got, you want to play with the mechanics. You've got these mechanics built into you, but I'm going to twist them a little bit. So it was a little petty. Um, and I learned from that, that that's not okay. <laughs> um, but in terms of like dealing with things like rules, lawyers, I've been pretty lucky to not have to deal too much with that. Um, on the occasion that it did happen, it's just like, it's guys like that may say that in the rules, but we're going to defer to the DM, whether that's the call they want to make. And then maybe it's a matter of telling the DM, but also we got to be consistent. Like if that's going to be the ruling, that's got to always be the ruling. Right? No, that's definitely, that's a fair take. And, and it is difficult. I think I've been in just as many situations where, uh, a rule came up that we'd played with one way for a long time. And suddenly somebody, whether me or somebody else realizes it's wrong and we've been doing it wrong a long time. And there's kind of a heartbreak in that moment because you have to, you have to decide is the way we've been playing it good? Because that's the first question to, to kind of ask is like, is it fun? And nobody wants to be the not fun like person right like oh no i've been making not fun happen and i have to admit that i'm wrong and that always it's it sucks no it's never fun but then you have to ask like is it better than the rule book for our scenario i like some you have to be honest with yourself and say like okay i've been playing it this way for a while is if i really step back and look at it in all of those scenarios would it have been better to play with the rule that's in the book and that's a real hard thing to be kind of objective about. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you do you do you feel when when you run into that? I'm sure I, I don't know of anybody that hasn't run into that scenario where they played with a rule wrong more than once. <laughs> um, do you find yourself keeping it as a homebrewed rule and kind of coming to a consensus at the table? Or do you think that the, the rule book tends to be more practiced? Uh, I think at that point, I kind of defer to the table. I'm like, do you guys want to keep going with how we've been playing it? Or would you rather try out this new thing? And if it doesn't work, we'll just go back. Like, right. I did. I did just mention, like, tr- be consistent with your ruling. But it's always got to be for the benefit of the table. Right. So yes. if the, everyone's like, yeah, sure, let's try and play the game how it was written, then great. And <laughs> if we don't like it, we just go back because nothing Nothing has to be fixed, but if it is fixed, it's predictable. And that's when it becomes a game. Right. No, I think that it's a, (laughs) I guess we'll use these, you know, $200 plus worth of materials that we purchased. I, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. I, you know, I don't think I ever let that be a factor. It's like, sure, I bought all these things, but no. Again, they're all, I mean, I have I own a ridiculous number of rule books for rifts and I have never ever played a session nor do I ever want to that game is there's too much there there's too much going on there but I love mining those books for content and I think they're worth every dollar I spent on them so oh yeah 
I mean, and, and that's a great practice to get into too. It's like, even if you know, like D and D is the game you're always going to play. Like if, if you've got the money, like go buy some other rule books. Like if you want a madness system, refer to call of Cthulhu, like D and D's madness sucks. <laughs> yeah. In, in the same way that exhaustion isn't handled very well, or you can replace, you get like the great thing about TTRPGs is they're kind of like Legos in the sense that, or, or not even like it's, it's like taking Legos and a model kit and putting them together. Like when you get over the fact that Lego bricks don't have to stick to Lego bricks, that super glue exists. Like when you can take a, a, a handsaw to a Lego and cut it at an angle that you want it to be and glue it to something that it is not like you're not supposed to glue Legos. And but when you get over that hump, you now have access to an infinite supply of, of tools at your disposal to, to make what you want. And I think that that TTRPG is the same way. Like when you get over the fact that it doesn't have to just be D&D or Call of Cthulhu or Pathfinder, and you can cut the HP system out of one and slap it on the other, then you break into the weird world. Ooh. <laughs> This metaphor is perfect, but also you've shattered my mind on Legos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? They don't just have to stick to other Legos. Why have Why I not you... thought about that? <laughs> it's also seen as like blasphemy, though. Like if you if you see like an F-15 model kit with a, with a Lego man in the cockpit, like what's going on there? This is not this is wrong for both Lego. Like the Lego people are like, no, you can't use model kit. And the model kit people are like, why is there a Lego man in there? And then there's the chaos gremlin that is me that is just shrieking around, flying my my model kit, going, you know, making gun noises. <laughs> in the end, he is the one having fun. Right. <laughs> right. I, I reject your rules and replace them with my own. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so... It would not be at Dungeons and Dinners uh, if we didn't spend at least a little bit of time on the topic of food. So whether it is how you run it in uh, campaigns or as a player or in your personal life and experiences, uh, what is your relationship to that which we all need for sustenance? Um, in in terms of my relationship with food, I when I originally signed up to come on this show, I was like, Am, am I qualified to be here? Like, I'm not much of a foodie. Um, like, in fact, most of my eating habits are like pretty awful, like fast food a lot and uh, trying to save time where I can and that kind of thing. But um, in terms of like my background, I myself am a uh, indigenous Mohawk Canadian. So um, I grew up with a lot of like more, uh, I guess, natural foods is probably the way to put it. Like, um, I, I don't imagine a lot of people are familiar with um, indigenous diets, but uh, like a lot of soups, like we have a soup called the Three Sisters Soup, which is comprised mostly of like corn, beans and squash, because traditionally those vegetables grown together in a garden support each other. Like beans grow up the, the corn stock to kind of give it some rigidity. And I believe it's like the squash at the base helps helps to do with the. Uh, balance in the soil or something like that. But yeah, so there was this concept of foods that grew better together and supported each other. And then traditional corn soups, there's a lot of soups involved. Um, and like venison, so like traditional hunting, um, 
And growing up, I was a very picky eater for a long time. I didn't grow up with those kinds of foods until much later when I began to open my palate up, so to say. So it was a lot of like chicken nuggets <laughs> for for a lot of my youth. Um, e- even things like pizza. I wasn't I wasn't into pizza. I wasn't into beef like I was so picky. Um, but now that I've gotten older, I try and eat like foods of other cultures, like, well, Indian food, like Asian foods. And, uh, and eventually after my career in university studying theater, I ended up working at a bakery, uh, just as a storefront manager. But, um, I, I worked with people. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I did a lot of wedding consultations, so helping people design ah, their cakes. Yep. And oddly enough, my theater experience kind of came in use for cake design, who'd have thought. Um, but man, what an experience it is to have a consultation about a wedding. Because when two people walk in there and talk about the desserts they want at their wedding, sometimes you can immediately identify that that's not going to work out. <laughs> no. <laughs> If we're oh. going to get to a knockdown drag out over cupcake frostings, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we should rethink spending the rest of our life together. Oh, yeah. It's like um, instead of spending like seven hundred to a thousand dollars on a cake, can we perhaps interest you in this platter of cupcakes that might be more pleasing? or uh, or instead of a thousand dollars on a cake? Could we interest you in maybe uh, 10 therapy sessions? <laughs> 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 I I am not going to provide those. Please do right, not Right, yeah, not me. on me. <laughs> unless unless you want to do it through D&D, which we yeah. could do there too, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I already provide those services to many people. <laughs> um I mean, so I I'd like to actually touch back a little bit and I would I would have to admit that I myself do not have much experience with uh indigenous cooking and I think that that's um that's a really phenomenal kind of topic and and like i'll i'll say that i don't believe that you have to be a foodie to be on this show i eat plenty of garbage food and could have amazing conversations about the the hidden menus and the uh the the favorite toppings and what places fries are better and why we miss burger king using lard um like there's plenty of ways that i am i am game to go in those directions but i would love to hear uh if if you don't mind a little bit more of your experience with uh indigenous cooking and how like how that manifested uh as you grew up and uh maybe some lessons that you took from it or maybe a a favorite meal that you maybe still enjoy Mm -hmm. yeah um unfortunately a lot of um growing up anyway a lot of the kind of cultural teachings that I kind of learned, a lot of it was very like gender roles based. So there was a lot of like the women were often the ones who were doing the cooking. So unfortunately I didn't get much experience being a part of that process, which I would have loved to. Um, But in terms of like the food that was made, like I already mentioned those soups, one, one food that uh, is pretty common at, um, powwows which are these large i mean that it's a bit more of a uh, known term powwows um they're large gatherings of people where like dancing happens like trading art vendors food it's basically a, a fair without the rides right um 
And something that's common at a lot of these is something called an Indian taco. And this is like a, a deep fried dough. And then on top of it, you put like a chili, a beef chili, and then like a bunch of veggies. So like lettuce, beans, tomatoes, and cheese. And it's just this unhealthy, more modern take on like bannock veggies and meat that might have used to have been made. But oh boy, an Indian taco is a thing to have. So if you can hunt down an Indian taco, I highly recommend it. Um, other things like a strawberry drink. Incredibly simple. You chop some strawberries up, throw it in some water. And if you want it a little sweeter, you could throw some maple syrup in. That is Ooh. a very common beverage that you'll find at indigenous events. And uh, I imagine a lot of groups tried this, but definitely the Mohawks, which is my tribe. I think that that's a, a beautiful like combination that is really... Um... Like I don't because it's not like a it's not like it's a quote unquote fusion food or anything, but it is a cultural experience to be like it's a fruit drink beverage and it's sweetened with maple syrup It's just something that is so both kind of indigenous and very Canadian. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just love that. I hope that that's not offensive in any way, but I, I really like that. <laughs> I'm pretty easy going, so I'm not offended. But, uh, any other natives out there? Greater sorry. Internet, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, no, I think that that's because I, I think, but I think it's fun because it's. I always really enjoy, um, the relationship to sweeteners in different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many different ways to sweeten food, from you know pure cane sugar to agave nectar to uh different saps and syrups uh molasses even like there's a lot of you know browned sugars or beet sugar uh there's different sweetnesses just from various fruit nectars or um you know things like that and so the relationship is definitely a cultural one and i love seeing you know the same the same style of food or the same you know dish made in different areas is going to source more ingredients from those areas. And I think that, uh, that sweeteners and breads, it's like sweeteners, breads, and pasta are things that are all very, you know, what fruits and vegetables do you have that have sweetness that you can source? What types of grains do you grow in your area? And then what processes do you have for manipulating those grains? And everything from a, you know, a stone, a stone ground corn flour versus, you know, something that is more like using whole corn. And I don't know, I, I just love exploring those areas in, in more ethnic styles of food. So mm -hmm. didn't and, really have a question there, just <laughs> an observation. No, no, that, and that's great. And it does remind me of a, a another aspect of like indigenous cultures, like, or, or at least Again, I keep saying indigenous cultures. I should more specifically say Mohawk culture because um, there are so many different tribes and they each is very different from the other. Um, like something with our diet, like it never in the past included like dairy. Like that wasn't something that was very common because we didn't really have cows and or goats and not until the Europeans came over anyway. Um and 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 it was also wasn't a big part of my diet as well. 
partly because I'm lactose intolerant, but also I'm not a big fan of cheeses. And there was this one time in university where me and this, my, my friend, Kevin, he was a Filipino, Filipino man. And, um, our program had this event in second year called cheese lecture. It was this metaphor of eating a piece of cheese that had kind of been laid out in this table. It was like a wine and cheese night. And each cheese that we progressed to got weirder and weirder. And, uh, it was supposed to be this metaphor for you can't enjoy really weird theater until you progress through it. Ah, okay. But me and my friend here, we, neither of us were into cheese. So we'd like, look at one. I'd look at him. He'd look at me. I'd be like, you eat this one. I'll eat the next one. Great. And so we <laughs> took turns eating the weird cheese and just shoving our mouths full of grapes after each. And it's just <laughs> such a bad time. Oh, <laughs> It's uh it's kind of the the popcorn of theater as well. <laughs> oh, you take this yeah. weird essay, I'll take the next one. <laughs> we'll compare yeah. notes. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that to say I can't fully enjoy weird theater? I have no idea. If theater is cheese, <laughs> I guess it's true. Uh, well, it doesn't sound like you're theater intolerant at all. So <laughs> <laughs> it would make for a bad audience experience. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know. I I have that is an experience is someone that, and this is one that not everyone I think has had, but it, when you see it, it's, if you get to experience it and you can kind of let go of your preconceived notions, it can be really fun is the, the DM that hates D and D like is it's not that they hate their players. Like they're not out trying to just player kill, but somebody or, or the player that hates playing. And and it's not just begrudging like they wish they would be DMing, but almost like I don't want to say necessarily like a system snob, but I think you'd see it more there as like somebody who is maybe a really experienced uh, werewolf player or or what, any white wolf game you know kind of player coming over and kind of begrudgingly playing D anD D, but they're good at it because they're an experienced role player, and and just kind of seeing that like that that scowl on their face that's always there and that some that disdain for the world or the rules without necessarily being like something that makes for a bad game i don't know it's an experience to have <laughs> just like somebody who is good at it but out of spite yes yes like <laughs> spite dming oh oh it's tasty it's so it's so <laughs> Oh, at some point, I'm going to need to hear more experience of this. This is the first time I'm hearing <laughs> yeah, about this. It's um, it's again. I don't think it's something that every that's super common because I think that a lot of times it makes for a bad game if it's mm. if it's done, you know. But somebody that's willing to carry on a good game and not just murder the players, but do so spitefully is it's a there's a level of disdain. It is theater. I think at that point it's theater, right? It's it's a mockery of itself. It's yes. a, and that is when there's a second meta to the experience in the theater of we're all pretending to be us pretending to be characters. <laughs> and the DM's pretending to have a good time. Right, right. <laughs> 
and maybe is and somewhere along the way there could be a Grinch story to it so you kind of hope for that like maybe the DM's heart grows three sizes this day because everyone role played even though they hate D&D and <laughs> oh yeah oh wow <laughs> That's a that's a niche play to try to write, but <laughs> I think it'd be wonderful. <laughs> um, so I I think that there's somewhat of uh, maybe an interesting dichotomy, and maybe let me know if there is anything to this or not. Uh, you mentioned uh, cooking for convenience, and I see this a lot, and I and I believe it's true that that a lot of times, like we have to eat every day at least some, and that is frustrating. So whatever is the a simple, easy solution to this so that I can maximize my time elsewhere is is, you know, a route that a lot of I take that route all the time and I'm not belittling it at all. Um, but I find that it's interesting where we pick and choose those things. And I don't know if there's anything to this or not, but do you as somebody who is willing to invest massive amounts of time in a highly curated homebrewed campaign um and then but being a creature of convenience in food um do you believe that there is is it a a time thing is it an interest thing um i don't know i don't know i feel like there's a nugget of something there that i'm trying to drill at that i can't i can't really describe so i don't know if you have any thoughts in that that area yeah, you know, it, at least in my personal example, um, I do think it is a combination of the two things you mentioned there, the interest and the time. Like, if I had more interest, I might make more time, um, but that's not the case. But I think there's a third element as well, where, as I explained earlier, I didn't really get the the foundation to kind of begin approaching it a bit more better. Um, so I think... Part of my issue and part of my solution would be to find recipes and like ideas that I might enjoy cooking and finding ways to maximize like, I don't know, like a meal prep, like only have to cook once in the week and you've got like days ready to go and you know you'll enjoy those meals. And it was interesting to do. Um, and to anybody out there who is kind of suffering the same thing I am, perhaps give that idea a try. Find a cookbook of types of meals you might enjoy. Um, and maybe it's prep a meal for two days if you're not a fan of uh, eating the same thing over and over again. Like cooking every other day still isn't that bad. Yeah. No, I think I think that there's a lot to be said. I uh I've looked a lot of ways into to possibly, you know, dancing off into various avenues, whether it be a cookbook. Uh, I don't know by this time, wink, wink, maybe. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, or things like uh, YouTube series or just teaching in teaching people how to cook. I find that it's in the same way that like if you're like, I'm going to teach somebody how to play D&D. Well, are you going to teach them how to DM, how to be a player? Are you going to teach them? combat first character creation what's more you know and then to teach that you have to teach well races and classes and there's so many decisions and i find in cooking it's the same way that a lot of people skip over all of the character creation and race and class stuff and jump straight into combat and world building in the same way that you would jump over grocery shopping uh meal planning uh you know flavor interactions like taste bud structure um 
and these are all like important things. I think that one of one of the things that I really try to help people with is that to learn how to cook is to learn how to shop because it's a common trope that, you know, people buy, you know, salad mix and then it goes bad in, in the fridge. Well, did you plan what on having salad that week? Did you have a meal that would complement a salad that would convince you to eat it? You know, like, do you have room in your fridge for the, the groceries that you need? And for people that get into meal planning or want to get into meal planning, the first thing that I recommend is find a find a space in your house like a like a, a three by three foot cube of some form try to try to locate a space and get the biggest deep freeze that you can get and put it in that spot because a deep freeze is what gives you access to being able to batch prep or bulk prep without having to eat the same thing every day for a week so if you made you know 10 meals and froze six or eight of them and had two of them that you knew you would have that week, but then had several in the freezer that you could pull any time. It's like that when you get a deep freeze, the next thing that you should do is either learn marinara or chili <laughs> because you can get a stock pot for like 10 bucks and make two to three gallons of chili or marinara. And it freezes and will last for a year. And and then you have a 10 minute meal that microwaves itself. And like marinara is a very universal sauce. Oh, yeah. you can you can make up if you want pizza. Cool. Get get the Pillsbury canned bread like or get croissants because croissants make great crust too. do that. And then if you have just don't freeze all your marinara in a block, like back it out or portion it out or whatever and make different sizes. Uh, you'd use two cups is two servings of spaghetti and meatballs, right? Like a quarter cup in a little teeny thing is perfect for like want mozzarella sticks or garlic bread with something and want to have a dipping sauce. Cool. Like portion off like a half, a few half cup bags. And then maybe if you're, you may just be having like chicken and rice, but chicken and rice with garlic bread and marinara sauce. Now it's a fancy meal. When before it may have just been kind of plain. So I, I highly recommend like a deep freeze is a huge first step. And then you don't have to meal plan every day of your week. But like just think about half of the meals that you want to eat that week. And then don't not by day, just in the week at some point. And then go to the store and only get those things because you'll guarantee to use them. Mm -hmm. And like I think that's and then. It leftovers doesn't just mean cooked food. It also means the raw food. Are you going to use an entire bag of carrots for a single steak, right? Like if you're not and you're going to have leftover carrots, then you need to be in the back of your mind thinking, if I don't want them to go bad, maybe the next thing that I need to learn how to make is something that's going to use a lot of carrot. Well, I got the stock pot already and I got the deep freeze and I've got carrots if I got a bag of potatoes and a steak, well, one, I can make twice baked potatoes at some point now. So that's good. Twice baked potatoes and steak sounds good. Mm -hmm. But I can also make a stew with the rest of the 10 pound bag of potatoes that I wanted two out of, you know, like, like, so now and oh, hey, that stew can be made in that stock pot. 
and freeze off another 20 batches that go in the deep freeze. And now all of a sudden in like three weeks, you've got two gallons of marinara, two gallons of chili and two gallons of a simple, you know, potato, carrot, vegetable stew, a meat stew or whatever. Well, now you've got if even if you didn't cook for another month or two, you would have three meals that you could rotate. And voila, like, I don't know, that's a huge rant. But <laughs> and I apologize for our listeners that I'm just soaking the time on this one. But it's I don't know, I'm very passionate about like, like teaching people to cook is not just how to stir a sauce. It's it's ev- there's a lot more involved in in the world of food. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't apologize for that. I'm sure there's going to be quite a few people out there who are like, that is valuable. I, hope I know so. <laughs> I'm here with that. That it's like, I, and I think it's the same way. It's like when you teach D&D, it's like you don't, I would never tell a player, you need to buy all three books outright. You know, I'd like, hey, come sit in on a game and borrow the PHB from like, I've got an extra, right? Uh, in the same way that like teaching somebody to cook is like, yeah, you don't need the deep freeze and a kitchen full of utensils and everything. Look up, you know, start simple, find one pot meals, find or like single skillet or 20 minute prep or whatever. But it's a lot of recipes. A lot of recipes are just recipes in the same way that I think a terrible introduction to D&D is zero to 20. I made Iron Man on YouTube, right? <laughs> like, like if and, and like, it's cool and it's awesome if you can use that as inspiration to get started. But that's not an introduction to D&D video. That's a one a level 1 to 20 guide on a complex character with three multi-classes like and 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 min-maxed to meet a certain scenario. And I think that every single recipe should be looked at that same way. Is that every recipe exists in a void that expects you to have all of the ingredients in your kitchen and all of the tools and all the experience and know-how on how to use it and make it and eat it and plate it and store it and save it. But that's not how you learn cooking. That's how you learn that dish in the mm-hmm. same way that that's not how you learn D&D. That's how you learn that min-maxed character. So, yeah, I would, I would say approach cooking in the same way that you would approach teaching somebody to play to play D&D is like you could have the inspiration and maybe you can even play that character in a one shot and learn those spells and you'll learn learning those spells is still useful. Like Expedious Retreat is not just for that one character, you know, Um, but use that as a jumping off point and then go back to the basics, you know, watch some beginner guides, use some friends, pots and pans or borrow a cup of sugar from a neighbor like neighbors usually don't bite Um, (laughs) usually, (laughs) but like, you know, and then start off, you know, if you can, if you could afford to buy all of the 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 PHP, the DMG, the monster manual, all of the expansion guides and the most popular third party press guides. If you can afford to do all of that at once, awesome, go for it. If you can afford to refurbish a kitchen from the ground up, like go for it, do it. But if you can't, focus on what you need to do what you want. Do you want to be a PHP, a player or a DM? Do you want to cook sauces or batch prep? You know, and are you making individual meals? Then you probably need to look at more individually packaged things. 
Um, don't buy the 10 pound bag of potatoes. Buy two Yukons. You know, you can get individual potatoes and you can get better ones probably. So I don't know. It's just all all how you want to do it. And now I'm going to throw the challenge out there. Uh-oh. Blend cooking and D&D together by planning an over-the-video cooking night where everybody yeah. is just cooking their own meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and find a way to do it that uh, that ties into your adventure. <laughs> um, um, every every you know every ingredient or step along the way should uh, should relate in some manner to uh, to a plot point. <laughs> Oh, or maybe it's a background exploration where you're cooking what you think your character's favorite meal would have been. Ooh, yeah. Or uh, all of the players can uh, can be cooking, helping cook the stew as they sit around the fire pit in uh, in an, in a you know in an off session where where it's just the end of exploring. Everybody needs. We have not shared enough background. So today's session, we're all going to cook stew, and while we cook stew, we we need to talk about. What what is going on, guys? <laughs> Where did you come from? Let's oh. let's really role play out one or two hours. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, Denny, I uh, I definitely always try. I have monologued and and gotten on my cooking soapbox here for a hot minute. <laughs> um, I uh, I always try to make sure that I leave some time for my guests at the end of every episode. So whether it is uh, a topic of discussion that you are burning to bring up, uh, a shout out that you would like to give, or just a bit of self-promo, I give the uh, floor to you. Um, sure. I suppose uh, I, what I would like to do is kind of shout out the um, the unofficial team I've got working with me because um, like Dicely is a big endeavor. Um, for the most part, I run the entire thing on my own, but um, the players in my campaign and a few other friends have tried to volunteer their time, but I don't know how to manage them. So I'm like, they, they help me where they can without my uh, expert leadership. Um, so yeah, I've got players such as uh, Christy Klo, who's on Instagram. Um, she's a D&D nerd and also YouTuber herself. Go check her out. Uh, Anthony, the DM on Twitter. Um, he does Fiverr services where he runs D&D and games for anybody who wants to pay him to do so. Go check him out. LC Kraken, the Fantastic Fiend. They're both Twitchers. They're also a couple of my players. Um, and Dallas McKenzie, who recently had a voiceover in on a, uh, a video game trailer, big deal. She's she's voice actress. She's fantastic. She also does the recaps of the Play Dicely games. Uh, follow her on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Dallasor on Twitter. Dallas McKenzie on Instagram. And then uh, Nikki Degui for the, um, the graphic design work on the Play Dicely overlay. Otherwise, I do all the drawing. <laughs> um, one final thing, though. You brought up in a recent... Well, I guess not recent at this point, but in a podcast uh, with another Canadian guest, the topic of Tim Hortons. Ah, uh, yes, that was. Um, oh, man. I believe his name was Dickie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, so I just wanted to add two cents onto the uh, the Tim Hortons conversation as well. My gosh, it's going downhill. Wow. Oh, is it? Oh man, I I think it was acquired by the same company that owns like Burger King and all that. Oh, and okay, so it's conglomerated. Once that happened, all the food became crap. Hmm. 
<laughs> I know that feeling. I know that like like there was a there was a barbecue joint in town that was just like this little hole in the wall, smoked everything. Like that's where I had my first smoked baked potato. Oh wow. And that was a that was a life change. It was a smoked baked potato stuffed with pulled pork, bacon, cheese, and barbecue sauce and like sour cream. And it was like, I didn't know you could do that to a potato. And uh, and once I did, I was like, this is just my life. I want this forever. But they I don't know if they got bought out or just decided to go big and became corporate. And then the menu got flattened. The food is only smoked for like 10 minutes to give it a, a little bit. And then I don't know, it it just it ruined it for me. And uh, so I, I feel that experience with Tim Hortons. I believe that was Manny that was on. So that I believe mm. that was a grown up geek. Um, okay. If you guys are looking for that episode. Um, but but yeah. yeah, so Tim Hortons downhill. Man, it's so sad. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it. it's hard to mess up a donut, but they're <laughs> all right. Uh, I just mostly go there for the tea now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like if I'm going for a breakfast, I'm probably not going to Tim Hortons unless I'm just getting a bagel. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I hear that a lot about like Dunkin' Donuts in the States, too, is like people don't go to Dunkin' Donuts for the donuts at all. Most hmm. most people I know don't get a donut there. They get a coffee and and they like they like the roast of the coffee. But that's it. You get coffee and you leave. <laughs> that's that's interesting, because I feel like in the same way that you guys down there consider like Tim Hortons for us, like a national brand. Right. Like, I feel like. Duncan is or what is it? Duncan makes America or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't pay attention. I like I like donuts, but in my opinion, a good donut only ever comes from a, an unknown kind of hole in the wall. Like you got to make it. Like Krispy Kreme is is gross. I I don't know. I I will do a standard glazed. I know hot. T- I'm a hot take on Krispy Kreme. I will do a standard glazed. But in most donuts, I don't do chocolate. I don't do sprinkles. I am very plain. Like I, and I like a good donut, like or a cake donut. And occasionally I'll do like maybe a, if there's a specialty, I'll do like a red velvet or mm-hmm. a cruller or something. But in donut, I like just a plain glaze cake donut. And a lot of donuts are the fried, like puff, like too puffy. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> a bit, a bit too soft. I get you. I get you. Yeah. I need some yeah. density. I need density in my donuts. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, I just go for the tea. Yeah. Hey, that's that's at least the tea's not ruined yet. Not not yet. You yeah. know, <laughs> n- now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure we used to have Dunkin' Donuts up here, but I'm pretty sure yeah. Tim Hortons like chased them out of the country or something. <laughs> Get out of here, rabble rousers. <laughs> you sh- rap scallions. Get out of here. Shoot. <laughs> you make America run. Now run back there. Run, run back there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, Denny, is there anything else that you would like to share before uh, we move off of today's episode? No, I think that's about it for me. So thank you very much for having me. This was a great time. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for coming on. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Denny, for joining me at the Dungeons and Ditters table. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking that little star rating or dropping a review in your podcast app of choice to help boost this show into the front of the eyes of the algorithm gods and get this show in front of the ears of more people. All of the links and contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at and dinners. 
If you're interested in supporting the show or interested in the entire back catalog of exclusive bonus episodes, like today's mini-sode, where Denny comes back to talk about comedy on TikTok, we debate the best chicken sandwich, and so much more. Or if you just want to keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.